says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Join me to break down all the NRO and Parramatta news this week as my good mate 60s and my good mate Clint. Boys, how you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty well, given it was a win on the weekend and it was great to be back with Sunday football. We had a good time at, back at the club with the uh, podcast and with young Fletch, so... All in all, mate, a good week was had and uh, looking forward to this weekend. Week's always better after a win, gentlemen. Yeah. Two in a row yeah. and feeling a lot better about the season. <laughs> damn, damn right. And as always, before we get into the NRL and Parramatta News, boys, just a quick shout out to the tip sheet sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners, Parramatta, Narellon and Auburn. Massive thanks to both those companies for sponsoring our podcast. But let's get into it, boys, with the NRL News. News team, assemble! All right, well, let's get into it with the Parramatta results on the weekend, boys. You already talked about that or alluded to that Parramatta win on Sunday against the Canterbury Bulldogs, but the action actually started on Saturday out at Campbelltown Stadium, 60s. I know you were out there. I was on the live stream. Parramatta was playing in the Tasha Gale, Harold Matthews and SG Ball, kicking off with the Harold Matthews against the Cronulla Sharks, where the Eels posted an 18 points to 6 victory against one. You always got to say they're almost a bitter rival at this point in the junior reps, aren't they, 60s? Yeah, they certainly are. Cronulla have come quite a long way when it comes to the junior rep results. They've been producing a lot of good locals down in there, down in the Shire. And uh, we've certainly witnessed a couple of big finals in the past between the two clubs. And they really turned up ready to take it to the Eels on Saturday. Uh, at least one player, <laughs> maybe just a little bit too revved up. <laughs> yeah, young young Nakora Williams losing his head in this game for the Cronulla Sharks. But for the Eels 60s, it was Junior Fangalele, Mikhail Tito and Josiah Funa Ayuta, the captain, scoring those three tries, Don Ferruja kicking three goals. And, yeah, this was a – you talk about saving your best for last in terms of the, the season, and the Harold Matthews really put on a clinic in this game. They copped some pretty tough calls in terms of the penalties. I think Cronulla did it pretty easy coming out of their red zone due to those uh, calls, but they defended with resolution and almost a, a grimness to them that you wouldn't, wouldn't expect in the Harold Matthews grade, let alone any of the junior at pathways. They were just so resolute defensively, and then they just – delivered some massive counter blows when it counted. I reckon that was close to one of the best defensive displays I've seen in a junior rep match for some time. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Uh, Big time agreement there. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the time was set in the middles. I thought Mikhail Tito, not only scoring a try, was tremendous running the ball, uh, aptly supported by uh, Jordan Uta and uh, Tyson Sanglang at lock forward there. Uh, But the captain, Josiah Funayuta, was just tremendous. Uh, he, he really caused, I think it was the left edge of the Canal Sharks, nightmares. I felt like he was getting 15, 20 metres every carry once he got early ball there, 60s. Yeah, when you talk about a captain's knock, that was right up there. And you know what? It's It was the sort of football that you needed to have from a team in a finals match where the forwards just 
get their job done in winning the middle. And they did it, as you spoke about, under adversity because the they just it seemed like they just couldn't buy a decision really no. it was the the sharks were able to get and and maybe this is an eels problem maybe there's a, a discipline issue maybe there's things that we're doing wrong but the the sharks were getting de- getting down to Parramatta's end off the back of penalties and six agains it just seemed far too easy and then all of that defensive work that was in the red zone was you had to think at some stage it was going to take its toll, but it didn't. The As you said, the Eels were just resolute. And I've got no idea how they were holding them out with some of those, uh, some of the possession well, that Jun- the Sharks had. Junior Fungalea was tremendous in defence too. He forced a couple of mistakes on Parramatta's goal line. Clint, did you have a chance to catch this one on the live stream? Or you were out there on uh, a yeah, no, I've, I've watched this one on the live stream. And to echo your points, gents, it, it was an incredible defensive display. You know, it, it, it kind of felt like the, the ball was going to drop at one point with the amount of penalties that felt like they were going one way at, at certain parts of the game. But the defense was just eventually going to cave. And as, as, you, as you said, it didn't happen, you know, and, um, and, that, and, and, that's not, and that's before we even consider the amount of niggle that was in the game. You know, it was... Um, it was an aggressive Cronulla team, you know, um, and that's before we even considered the uh, the sin bin offence from young Nakora Williams. Uh, he was every, I think every hit up and every tackle he in particular was involved in. Uh, was had, a running skirmish with the Parramatta flanker, Aiden Kaborian, I think, and uh, they did a very good job pressing his buttons. So, yeah, that was a well done from the Eels to hold their resolve there and not get baited into the niggle, but take advantage of it. Yeah, and now uh, they move on to the grand final qualifier at Leichhardt Oval this week. Mate. Taking on the Newcastle Knights, another team that we're going into the match blind with, boys. Didn't match up against Newcastle this season because it's only nine games, sometimes with a bye, and I think it's a 15-team competition now. So, yeah, going to have to do some serious scouting internally. Uh, but if they play the way they did against uh, the Cronulla boys, they're going to be hard to beat in this competition. Yeah, and for anyone that's getting out there, it's fairly late matches mm. in the day for both Afternoon, the Mats and the SG ball. Yeah, I think it's a 4.15 kickoff, 4 o'clock kickoff. Yeah, that sounds familiar, 4.15. 5.45 for SG ball out at Leichhardt. So obviously you can catch that one on the live stream. Uh, but if you're getting out there, make sure to adjust your Saturday plans around it being a later kickoff. Uh, that brings us to the second fixture of the day, boys, where the SG ball sort of proved that old adage, better late than never, very, very true. They're taking on a, a young but outstanding uh, Western Suburbs uh, SG Ball team, which is really the core of the team that won Harold Matthews last year. Uh, the Eels being caught up in a – it was a incredibly fast-paced physical game with not necessarily a lot of high quality for good exchange, good lengths of uh, the exchanges there with the team sort of getting baited in the mistakes on both sides. But when it came push the shove, uh, the key players for the Parramatta Eels – uh, obviously, dummy half Matty Arthur, fullback Arpa Tweedle, uh, halfback Ethan Sanders coming up. Trump's setting up a couple of tries late in the run to bring the Eels home 18 to 10. Uh, Tweedle scoring a double there uh, with Ethan Sanders kicking three goals. Matty Arthur, the other try scorer at the end. Uh, so the Parramatta Eels doing what was necessary here, boys. It wasn't the prettiest game. And I think there was actually quite analogous to the game with the Indiana Roll with the Eels and the Bulldogs where. The physicality was very good, uh, but you can make some uh, legitimate complaints about pass selection, play selection, and execution. Yeah, you can. And I'm pretty sure as well that if you added up the time that the 
West Magpies were in the lead, it would have surpassed the period of time that the Eels had the lead, but the Eels had the lead at the time that mattered, exactly. which was at the end of the game. The, the clock so, zero-zero, exactly. Yeah, so basically it was the first 24 minutes, it was both teams really physical, but the, the attack wasn't quite clicking. And it, it seemed like it was quite frenetic, the pace, without the fine-tuned execution. And then West were the first to score. They uh, It was unconverted. And that 4-0 scoreline stayed for some time. And then the Eels finally broke it. And uh, it was a, a great individual try, I think, from memory, that was uh, up between, up yeah, Coming down yeah. Parramatta's left edge, ball in both hands in front of him. What you love That's to see it. from a ball player uh, created that moment of hesitation in the defense, and he just sliced through. Very good So there was the, the converted try for that. So we, we took the lead and then literally straight after that, I think it was the kickoff set where we got to the kick downfield and then the uh, West fullback fielded the ball and ran 90 metres to yeah. score. That was yeah. that was the, I think from memory, that was the that was period it. of time with which we had the, uh, a two-point lead and it was quickly, just quickly evaporated. 10-6 down from that point until basically about six minutes to go. And then we had the uh, the terrific try that was uh, Arpa's second try. And that started with, we were struggling to get out of our own red zone. And then uh, Maddie Arthur caught the uh, markers and defence going back a bit slowly. And he, he took off from dummy half, found uh, Muhammad Alamadine mm-hmm. backing up. Alamadine's got through... Most of the ruck, he's found um, Ethan Sanders. Ethan Sanders, and then Ethan Sanders has the uh, the fullback uh, Arpa Tweedle that backing up, and he's then uh, gone off on his his run to plant the ball under the posts there, and that pretty much was still just it, the game was still in the balance. Then it was only a two point lead, and anything could have happened, and nearly did, nearly did because. In that last five minutes, the Magpies put up one enormous bomb into the Eels' in goal. Their fullback leapt up above the Eels' winger, got both hands on the ball, and as he's coming down, lost control of it. It was going to be that would have been his third try for the day, and it looked for all the world like he was going to get the the score. He didn't, and then of course we had uh, Matty Arthur got a try from dummy half in the last couple of minutes that put the put the game to bed there and uh, earned that spot at the grand final qualifier. But it was edge of the seat stuff. Never never for any moment was I sitting comfortable anyway. It felt like watching one of Parramatta's NRL games. <laughs> That's why I said it was analogous, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you love to see him prevail. You love to see the core players coming together in the big moments and win this one. Clint, you want anything uh, anything to tack on to that one with what Sixty said? It's just great to see that that never say die attitude that seems to have come a part of our junior representative system over the last couple of years. You know, we're we're, we're seeing the fruits of the labor, or at least the very uh, first parts of it, I should say. Um, as you touched on some of those boys who graduated from the Howard Matts team in, um, in, in this year's SG Ball team. They're, they're, there's, these are Parramatta players. These are Parramatta juniors, you know, involved in our junior rugby league competitions. 
representing the Parramatta Reels and doing everything they can for victory. It, it, it bodes well for the future. And, you know, it's the exact type of attitude that you want to see in potential first-grade footballers. Uh, what particularly pleased me, I mean, everyone was really, as you said, everyone's contributed, everyone's bought in in that SG ball performance. Yeah, the attack was a bit clunky at times, but it, it was that never-say-die attitude that was there. And then when it mattered, the spine produced that that special try, uh, uh, albeit with Mohamed Alamadine also involved and playing a key role in that. But to see the spine players so instrumental in in that try, it was really important. Um, also, uh, a, a shout out to uh, Sam Tuavati, who uh, his I think it was his run early in the uh, just before Tweedle the ball shifted to Tweedle that got the um, opened up a little bit of space for the uh, for that first try it it, it drew defenders across to the other side of the field and Parramatta definitely enjoy that play of, of attracting defenders to one side of the field and then shifting very quickly to the other and uh, that first try was was pretty much the hallmark of that. So anyway, we move on. We said, as we said, they've got a late game at Leichhardt on Saturday. I think probably by that stage, it, the um, their opponents would have been decided. It's uh, the Canberra Raiders. Yeah. So no, I mean the in the um, oh, they the it, final that, match. That would be the final uh, match. You're right. There would be um, early. I think that's the reverse. What we did uh, last week, where we play the morning games and there were afternoon games. Uh, to decide our opponents. So, yeah, we will know who the grand finalist is against us by, uh, yeah, before yeah, kickoff. Because we're, we're going inside and they're going to win. But I'll tell you what, it is going to be a tough encounter because last time they played the Raiders, the Raiders were far too good. Far too good. They had um, Chev Stewart, is it? Chevy the, Stewart, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, they, The Raiders recruited him from uh, the Sharks. And, and he was quite a key player with the Sharks. Thankfully, and, despite being man of the match against Parramatta when they met earlier this season, he's gone so well that they put him up to flag. And he did so well there, they put him up into the New South Wales Cup. So he's not playing the grand final qualifier, which is a massive out for the Canberra oh, Raiders. I wasn't, uh, I, I hadn't been keeping up to date with that. So I appreciate that bit of feedback there, mate. That that makes it a completely different yeah, and ball game. The Eels also have now. Richard Penasini and Blaze Talangi back from a team that went down to the Raiders. Uh, and it is it is worth mentioning that they played a good half of football against Canberra and went into Oranges, uh, you know, very close to even. But in the second half is what got them. So got to play the full 70 minutes against Canberra on Saturday. But, you know, they've certainly got the talent on paper to get this job done. That's remarkable. So Chevy Stewart's playing New South Wales Cup. I believe so. Let me, just, let me just confirm that for you, but I'm pretty certain... Uh, that is the case here. So if I go to Canberra Raiders here, who are on the bye this week, so that uh, doesn't... Did he play the week before? Yeah, he was playing fullback and a victory against the Dragons last weekend. And they've actually got the bye this week, but they haven't named him because... Uh, is he playing Jersey Flag instead? Uh, gosh. No, they've got the bye there too. So they they just prioritise his value to the senior football pathways now. Pathways now. So he is not being picked in this team. Uh, let me just 100% confirm that, but I'm pretty certain. Yeah, Samuel Gash. So they're, they're just not picking him in junior reps anymore. So that, that, that's a, a massive that, tip of the hat. Also, for, for people that uh, 
aren't regular followers of the junior representative program, it's these sorts of things can happen with SG ball players because we also saw that with the Dragons with um, Amone. Yeah, yeah, with Amone. He mm-hmm. he went from playing SG ball at the start of the season to NRL by the end of the season. It's quite a remarkable elevation that yeah. happened, but it, it can happen. So it, when we start talking about certain names, you know, there might be one or two that we mentioned that we might say, jot that name down because it's that, that particular player might well advance into uh, the NRL or as the case may be NRLW. And maybe there's one we might be talking about from the Tasha Gale clash uh, and the opposing team. Yeah. So, this one was the one loss for the Parramatta Eels, unfortunately. Uh, and it's going to be one they're going to rue, I think, 60s, because they had the ascendancy in this game uh, through the first 30 minutes before falling to the Illawarra Steelers to the tune of 20-4. to Alicia Bell scoring the lone try for the blue and gold uh, in this contest. But, yeah, this was a game where they had the Steelers rattled. They were on the back foot and had lost all their composure in the first 30 minutes. Parramatta were winning the collisions, were winning the field position battle, uh, but couldn't deal the finishing blow to them, just couldn't quite capitalise on those opportunities. And uh, I've got to give full credit to young Yo here, who, if I just pull up the name proper, it's uh, Sienna, I think. Sienna Yo, who I, I'm a bit confused as to whether it's the sister or the cousin of uh, Isaiah Yo. It might be the cousin. Uh, but she has NRLW superstar written all over her. And her, we, we speak about composure and the ability to play under pressure. Uh, those qualities really shone through for her and is what kept the Steelers in this game and eventually what led them to victory. She was tremendous. Just the way she takes the ball deep into the line yeah. as the halfback, it was it really set up their attacking plays. And yes, you're right. The Eels had all of that early ascendancy and that try that the Steelers scored before halftime, that was really, uh, that had to deal a psychological blow to the Eels because the Eels were so dominant then essentially against the run of play, the Steelers have scored a, a try from their own side of halfway where um, I'm not sure if it was their winger or centre, whoever it was, had, certainly had some toes. The centre, I think, yeah. Yeah, and uh, she crossed in the corner and then just to rub salt into the wound, their kicker. Yeah, had drilled, the drilled it from the sideline, yeah. Yeah, well, it just scraped over the crossbar and um, and then she's... She ended up missing a couple from uh, reasonably close range, and I'm not sure whether that was, you know, made it even even more bitter pill to <laughs> swallow that they the Eels went into half time with a deficit um, because it just was not the sort of first half where you expected to them for them to have a deficit after the way that first half unfolded. But then it, then in the second half, it it just it just came apart for them it just the attack didn't really happen and then yo just took control for the Steelers and they you have to say they were deserved winners full marks to the Eels Tasha Gale team because I really regarded this season as a as a bit of a rebuilding year for them there was certainly a lot of players that had moved on because they're, they're a team that had 18, 19-year-olds and and there are some 18-year-olds in this squad this year. But I, I thought they did well to get just one game shy of where they reached last year. So, and, and to an extent, there was almost 
a similarity about the the match in which they bowed out because they were the dominant team last year in that semi-final against the Knights. Uh, albeit, I think they got the raw end of the deal with some decisions last year. Yeah, whereas in this game, you weren't really upset about the officials, just the class of the Steelers was too good. Yeah, yeah. I, the Steelers certainly played better than they did when the Eels uh, drew with them earlier this year. Um, it was a real uh, arm wrestle of a game uh, it, down in down in Wollongong for that earlier encounter. But uh, anyway, congratulations to Ryan Walker and the staff and all the girls and on a season in which they qualified for finals football. And it's uh, onwards and upwards, whether it be for the girls going into the Harvey Norman New South Wales Premiership or or getting uh, development contracts with the Eels NRLW squad. I, I guess we will soon find out about where their path takes them or if they're young enough backing up again for another Tasha Gale Cup. But, um, yeah, it's now two teams, as we've talked about, that are progressing into the grand final qualifiers this weekend in Leichhardt Oval. So, but we do have three other games that we need to push through. Yeah, very, very quickly, too, so we can get on to the actual NRL and Parramatta news. One game we didn't get to see, boys, because it clashed with the junior representatives was the Jersey Fleet Cup. The Eels' four-game win streak coming to an end against another top-of-the-ladder team in the Canterbury Bulldogs. Very narrow loss here, 26-22, to seeing the Bulldogs prevail out at New Era Stadium on Saturday. Uh, for the Eels, Lindsay Munro, Makapofisi, Tyson Chase and Noah Reid scoring. Sam Loizu taking over the kicking duties this week. He was three from four off the tee, doing a pretty good job there. Uh, but yeah, hat-trick to Jordan or Jordi Mazzone, uh, including an intercept try. Uh, massive for the, for the Bulldogs in this one, and the Eels just falling short. Uh, 60s, I don't know if you've got any quick feedback to give from this one before we move on to the Cup and NRL. Oh, I think the main feedback that I had was lost opportunities. Mm-hmm. That was that was the main feedback and that I had. And also worth reminding that the Eels were down some troops this week. They had a very tough uh, fallout from a big win against the West Tigers the week before, losing Brock Parker, who's arguably their best player, at least in your book, 60s, has been outstanding. Uh, also, very good back uh, backline members, Terrell Williams and Bo Newlands also out. So, Eels having to roll off the punches this week and falling just short against another very good team in the flag. No need to feel awful about the outcome. Those 60s are still uh, you know, a quality loss, I suppose. Uh, and the Eels can certainly still do some damage in the coming weeks. Yes, uh, we can't use the term quality loss, however, about the New South Wales Cup. No, that is a great way to segue into the reserve grade outcome where... Uh, we, we watched this one live out at Combank. It was the curtain raiser to the NRL fixture on a very, very nice Sunday, actually. It was overcast when we arrived at the Parramatta, but by the time the, the cup kicked off, it was literally perfect conditions uh, and perfect conditions for the Eels to flail about. And unfortunately, they were very, very ordinary in this game. They lost 28-6. to The Bulldogs were the best team in this competition coming into this uh, particular game. They exit the, the, the competition, still the number one team because they get that 22-point victory. But, geez, the Eels played terribly. And the Dogs probably did them uh, a favour on the scoreboard. Six years could have scored another two, three, maybe four tries in this contest. But as it stands, Jack Murchie, the lone try scorer for the Blonde Gold, he went up and claimed the crossfield kick for his own. Nice little effort, actually. Jordan Rankin tacking on the extras. Uh, but for the Bulldogs, their left winger, Reese Hoffman, uh, no, Blake Wilson, sorry, had a huge day, bagging a double, went for over 200 metres. Uh, we saw young uh, halfback Carl Lawapu, who they paid a lot of money from Brisbane to go get. Uh, he had a nice little chip kick at the end. I don't think he had a huge game in terms of uh, the rest of it, but he had a little bit of flashes here and there. But, geez, uh, the Eels just played some terrible football in this game. 
my simple takes, we didn't win the middle. And then when we shifted, we made, made er- far too many errors. And I, I don't know if I can sum it up too much more than that. No. It was just, Looking- it was just a flat performance. Uh, Clint, you were, you were out there at the stadium. Were you there for all of the New South Wales Cup game? I saw it from start to finish, uh, uh, <laughs> escaping the sun and um, potential sunburns throughout the process on the eastern side. And I probably should have been on the other side of the ground with you, gents. And I'll, I'll, I'll take I'll take that as indirect feedback for next time. <laughs> but um, it was um, it, it was it was flat. Is probably even being a little bit generous, you know. Um, there, there's a lot about this performance that just, you know, we touched on with the juniors, you know, having a parameter identity and culture. The New South Wales Cup side felt anything but that on yeah. on Sunday. You know, there was, there, there was a lot of missed tackles, um, players missing some assignments. Um, look, some some decent individual performances, but um, collectively as a team, it was um, it, it, it it's not what you want to see and. You know, it's pretty disappointing when you feel the team had made a little bit of headway in the previous weeks. And, you know, there was a couple of wins and a draw in there. Um, and this was a Bulldogs team, yes, the top of the table but um, in New South Wales Cup, but missing some players to first grade as well. So, you know, it, it probably gives a little bit of indication of some of the, the quality that's starting to come through the Canterbury system at the moment. Both Canterbury wingers uh, absolutely tore us apart in the New South Wales Cup. They were... Um, uh, uh, one of them got a hat trick. I think the other ran for well over 250 meters with plenty of tackle break, uh, and we saw a complete breakdown of our middle. Yeah, it's a it's a, a game that's very difficult to look at any of those individual performances and say someone had a good game without some kind of drawback. I mean, you look at the numbers. Offa Hickey Ogden had a monster day: 20 carries, 202 meters, a whole ton of tackle breaks as well. Uh, but he also had two errors and got put in a simbin. You know, so outside of that, really bad days at the office for Jordan Rankin and young Tony Matelli, four errors apiece there. Um, I think with uh, young Tony, uh, maybe the, the sort of week-to-week grind has caught up to him a little bit in this grade. Um, he's just, uh, he had a very, very strong opening, I want to say, four or five weeks. But the last two games, it looks like he's just dropped a notch here. So got to just do some load management with him and get him through that, uh, to that second win, sort of, second win, sorry, sort of stage of the team. But, yeah, the back line really struggled against the Canterbury big and dynamic outside backs. And, yeah, just – it was almost like a rudderless performance, boys. So onwards and upwards for the New South Wales Cup. They have to be better moving forwards, although the assignment is very difficult next week, taking on uh, the second-place team in the competition over in New Zealand in the Warriors. Uh, and the Warriors have been very formidable indeed. They actually knocked off the Canterbury Bulldogs in this grade. So – uh, very, very good team there. And the Eagles are going to be without a few players in reserve grade due to injury and suspension and maybe even passport issues. So we'll talk about that later. NRL game, boys, the last result to talk about from the weekend. The most important result to get. So thankfully the Eels did bag this one. And it was what, what a odd one as well. They won in an absolute canter 30-4. to four. Uh, But this is a game you come out of both happy and frustrated with because you're happy that the team won so easily playing so within themselves at times. Uh but they also played with the sort of physicality that we've been demanding of them the last couple of weeks that's been lacking. So good to see them get back to their roots with the ability to win the collisions. And obviously, Reagan Campbell-Guard, instrumental leading from the front in that regard. Uh, but yeah, also far from a complete performance against the Canterbury team that cops some injuries in this game. You know what? I'm just going to 
go to a couple of very simple things, which is, yes, there was the physicality there. Yes, they won the middle. Um, got the two competition points, picked up 26 points in differential and um, no major injuries of any sort, really, that came out of it for the Eels. And you've basically got, um, a, you know, nothing but... I don't think you can take anything but positives from that because when you look at, at Goal mentioned this in his grades, that the previous week the Eels had nothing go their way in the way of uh, possession against the Tigers. They scraped through, yes, they scraped through to the win against the team that was down at the bottom of the table. But normally with those sort of stats, you associate the stats of possession and completions, that sort of thing against the Tigers with the losing side, but somehow mm-hmm. the Eels did manage to manufacture a win. Uh, this week, the Eels had a better share of possession and came up with a 26-point win against the team that was sitting above them on the table, um, albeit with a few injuries. So last week, the Tigers got all the praise and were considered unlucky to lose despite having the dominance in possession. And this week, um, somehow the the Bulldogs were picking up a bit of praise for their tenacity. <laughs> it's a common denominator. Losing by yeah. 26 points. Uh, I'll tell you um, one thing, though, boys, and it's a, a real – I don't want to say pat in the back to the team, but it's almost a reward for that tough opening to the season where they kept those losses to really tight margins. Four points, obviously, each game the first three weeks, eight points against the Roosters. By winning by 26 points against the Canterbury Bulldogs – not only are they only the only team in the bottom nine with a positive points differential now at plus 13, they're actually ahead of the Dolphins in eighth place with a minus 12 differential, right in the heels of the Melbourne Storm, 16 points points differential, and above Manly, who's sitting fourth at six points points differential. So Parramatta, the, those losses, as much as they've hurt the Eels on the ladder early on, their ability to minimise the points differential impact of those losses now has them in a position to really make a push up the ladder in the meaty part of the season. Yeah. Uh, now, Clint, you had the misfortune of sitting next to me in the stands and <laughs> and watching the agony <laughs> that I go through on a weekly basis uh, with the team <laughs> because I, you know a lot of a lot of people regard me as the glass half full supporter. Uh, I, I test any assessment of that during a match because, <laughs> I, as you know, I do it tough during a game. Um, so uh, yeah, what were what was uh, what was your takes, mate? You got to hear plenty of mine during the game. Well, um, firstly, you're not alone in that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think all of us here are considered quite measured uh, when we're discussing our team outside the 80 minutes of NRL. And during the 80 minutes of NRL, we're riding the emotional wave just like any other supporter, member, and fan is. So you're, you're definitely not alone in that one, mate. And I'm. Um, even even though this is probably a more quiet game from myself, you know the the role has certainly been reversed plenty of times before as well. Um, look, you know, I think we cited at full time that um, it was maybe the flattest we had felt after a twenty six point win, which sounds a bit strange to say, but you know, because the list that you've just gone through. We ticked a lot of boxes, and it's exactly what you want. You you bank the win, and I think I said afterwards, you bank the win, you move on. That's what this part of the year is all about. And you know, we don't want to be we don't want to be um, giving our um, 
all our secrets away at this time of year. And you want to you want to build and ride the wave of momentum. Um, firstly, qualifying for the finals, hopefully in in the top four position, hopefully in the top two position, so you get a home final, and then you can dictate terms and 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 run the race at your own pace. Um, but look, you know, uh, there there was a lot to like about uh, what happened on Sunday as well. Um, you know, I in particular was incredibly impressed with Gutherson's heroics, you know, and that's not just because he, he, he got beat up and he played on with the, with the tape around his, his head, but, you know, Burton unleashed some of those kicks <laughs> and it, it's been well documented. Some of the troubles that um, are probably more our wingers and, and, and certainly Wonga Blake when he was playing on the wing for us last year have had under the high ball. So I think there was a, a, a degree of confidence, maybe reason installed in the supporter base that yeah look something might go up looking pretty ugly but we've got a pretty reliable fullback there that'll get the job done and then return serve after that so um that 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 was a a key little thing to to take away but uh the big thing i think is um obviously the return of reed money to combank stadium yes yeah it's uh it's the uh the toy elephant in the room isn't it uh, but uh, yeah, you know we, we're so used to Parramatta Eels or former Parramatta Eels coming back and having the monster revenge game. But poor Reed Marnie had the uh, complete opposite of that. That was the greatest anti revenge game of all time, and obviously the crowd were eating it up. But so too were the players, boys. Um, you know, I don't know if it was like ill feeling like that, but uh, that you could tell that they enjoyed uh, giving it to Reed, who is obviously a bit of a shit stirrer as a, any good dummy half is. So giving him a bit of his own medicine in that game was probably cathartic. For some of the uh, the big units like Reagan Campbell Gillard, yeah, absolutely. And we, as you say, we don't like to uh, put the boot into former players because, I mean, for a start, you always like to think that players leave the club on good terms, and you'd like them to be leaving the club on good terms, not just with the coaching staff, but with the fans as well. But last year, and let me preface this by saying. Over the years, we've been able to have a number of conversations with Reed Marnie. He's he was doing fabulous things with the Giant Steps School and the respite um, work that uh, that was carried on with Steve Dresler with um, Waterability. Uh, with Waterability, so he was he was involved with that. But he like he he was one of those graduates of Eels players who worked out at the Giant Steps School, and he and he became a passion of his as well to help out there as much as he could, even when he became a full-time footballer with the Eels. He's just, he's a decent bloke. He, he really is. And um, was always one of the last off the field uh, at training. So I have no question about the level of effort that he put in when he was playing for the Eels. However, the harsh reality came, I think, in the post-match press conference when he said uh, about um, about the Bulldogs, I absolutely love this club. And I can't ever remember him saying those words about the Eels. I'm not like he played, he played like he loved the club, but I never heard him verbalize it. And maybe he's more invested there. Maybe they, this has been his club. That was the club that he started at. Maybe this is where he sees the rest of his football career. Maybe it's probably likely he'll never come back to the Eels. And I guess under those circumstances, rip in. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> rip in. So, um, yeah, look, Fletch certainly didn't miss him in our <laughs> post match. I think he, the, the Hobbit, <laughs> the was, club. Uh, yeah, the, the term used for him. So, look, I, I understand fans well done, wanting Fletch. to wanting to yeah. rip in, especially you know when you play that position and you you play that provocateur role like Reed and so many other dummy halves do. Uh, for fans and players, there is, like I said, probably nothing more cathartic than being able to get one back in. We saw uh, Big Reg, I think, have a... I don't know what he said, but he roared something at Reed after he scored that try over him. And uh, Sean Lane sort of uh, sort of uh, added to the, that in the post game, saying that Reed and Reg have a bit of beef, which I think actually goes back to when Reg was still a panther. And I think yes, Reed, I think Reed, was, was, a, yeah. Reed was a massive shit-stirrer uh, against the Reg uh, back in the day. <laughs> so uh, Reg has obviously put that one in the bank and, and paid out some dividends <laughs> on it. Uh, but yeah, so the Eels getting the job done, boys. Uh, like we just mentioned, best for and against outside the top eight now, which is fantastic. Positions them to start climbing the ladder. Uh, let's move on to the team list for round eight. And uh, before we get there, I suppose we can gripe a little bit about the stupidity of Parramatta's draw. Again, another quirk, <laughs> he says, dripping with sarcasm. The quirky draw for the Parramatta Eels continues with a five-day turnaround on an interstate trip to Darwin in the most challenging football conditions any team's going to play all year. Like... I know that the club do the right thing by the NRL official, like in the official channels in terms of what they say to the media. Brad Alpha never tries to have a slide dig at whatnot. But, uh, geez, that, that is really disappointing that our draw has been such a debacle on so many different levels here. But, you know, fair enough playing teams off, off buys early on. Fair enough having, you know, all the Thursday night games. You wear that because that's for TV ratings. How could you not schedule a six-day or seven-day turnaround on a trip to Darwin I do not know. So very disappointed there, boys. I don't know what your piece on that is. Well, that's been determined by the broadcasters. They pick what matches they want and the time slots that they want them in. So the draw is done, but in terms of the days that the matches happen, it's basically the, the broadcasters divided up. I'm not sure the order, who gets first pick, second pick, what have you, but they they each get um, but a turns in picking for each weekend the the matches that they want for their um, their particular slots and when you think about it you've got um, the fox have got that exclusive uh, Friday night six o'clock slot the Thursday and the Friday ones they share. And then, of course, you've got the Saturday games that Fox have the exclusive on and one of the Sunday games that Fox have the exclusive on. So, uh, anyway, from how, however it's done, they divide up the um, order of selections. Yeah, I, I understand it, the broadcasters have the power, but where's the common sense? And it feels like at some point the NRN is say, well, yeah, we do want the Broncos and the Eels to play Friday night football in Darwin because that's going to be a massive game, but... Let's use common sense in the week before. Let's give them the Friday night game against the Bulldogs because that's also a rivalry game and gives them a chance to prepare yep. for the trip in the state. So uh, that that's on both the governing body and the broadcasters, in my opinion. But let's not waste time because the podcast is going on and on. Let's get into team sheet news, boys, uh, for the Eels and the Broncos. Brisbane Broncos, it, it's a regular occurrence the Parramatta Eels. They get back a, or the opposition getting back a key player. And it's not so long ago that you would say that Corey Oates wasn't a key player. Uh, with a bit of a mid-season or mid-career slump happening for him. But he's back to his best in recent seasons and is a big weapon for that Brisbane team. He rounds out their back line 
bringing up the full strength. Walsh, Oates, Stags, Farnworth, Cobbo, up there at the best in the competition. That forward pack, no slouch too. When you talk about Haas, Flegler, Carrigan, Capewell, Jordan Rickey, pretty good with the ball in hand, but capable of missing a few tackles. Uh, the Broncos, obviously, a very good outfit, boys. For the Eels, though, there is the one, uh, well, one starting change with uh, no surprises, but Josh Hodgson returning to the team following his uh, bout with the flu on the weekend. That pushes Brendan Hands back to the interchange, back to that super utility role that he's been so good at. And the uh, one player to make way this week for that uh, cascading set of changes is Makahesi Makatoa. Matt Dory winning out that final spot after being the guy that was initially overlooked last week, obviously coming back into the team on Sunday, which means Gufferson, Sevo, Penasini, Russell, Dunster on the wings. No change there. Uh, importantly, if the return of Bailey Simonson, he's outside the team looking in right now. Uh, Brown, Moses, Campbell Gillard, Hodgson, Barlow, Lane, Cartwright, Madison. So Eels going with the same sort of default forward pack they named before kickoff uh, against Canterbury, but they did make that shuffle with Madison going to the right edge, Hopkirk coming to the starting team, Cartwright to the bench. Uh, have to wait and see how that plays out in Darwin, boys. But do we like the team list? Uh, obviously, Hodgson coming back in is no surprise. I like the fact that um, Matt Dury stays in the team. You're liking RBA pull this one together. Do you like Wurumu being on the interchange in those Darwinian conditions? I Just looking at it, uh, we're not going to get too much into the uh, preview aspect of it because we do have our preview mm-hmm. podcast. So just from a team perspective, I'm interested in the take from both of you fellas when it comes to are we going to see a late change or two? I'm not totally convinced that Bailey Simonson won't play. Yeah. I, I too think that there's opportunity to whether you put him on the wing or you put Sean Russell onto the the right wing and uh, bring Bowie into the centres. Uh, it's not a slight on Hayes, but it's just a reminder of what sort of timeline you have to expect with full recoveries coming back from those knee injuries. He's, I think, still probably a step short of where he would want to be himself. Uh, but on the flip side, I wouldn't be surprised if BA does retain Hayes because that near unshakable faith in his players has been one of his strongest calling cards as a coach. And obviously sometimes it has been a detriment too. That's how it goes. But the faith that he empowers his players with often ends up uh, being the better outcome in the long term. So it wouldn't be surprising if Dunster did hold his place in the team. Yeah. What about you, Clint? You uh, expecting it to go 1-17? to Were you expecting a late change? I've been doing a 360 on this pretty much post-Bulldogs game. Um, I could make a case for Bailey starting at centre, Sean Russell going the wing. I could make a case for Bailey coming under the wing, Sean Russell starting at centre. I could make a case for Sean Russell staying at centre and Hayes Dunster staying at centre, uh, staying on the wing, rather. Um, I, I, I could see any number of combinations running out on Friday night. Um, we'll definitely watch the 24-hour change uh, um, or update, I should say, with keen interest to see who's still there. And, um, you know, it, 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 that, that's probably not even the, the only changes that may happen. You know, we saw, we saw in the Bulldogs game the, the last-minute changes to the, um, to the starting lineup with Matt Dury's inclusion. Do we potentially see some, some other um, or similar fifths this week? Perhaps, maybe, I don't know. Um, the weather we have to factor in um, the potential management of minutes for certain players as well. Um, it is interesting, as you touched on, with Wiramu being selected. Um, you know, um, he's obviously not a, he, he's known for being a more explosive prop as opposed to um, a, a big minutes prop. But then it's also worth saying that he, had, um, prior to coming to Parramatta, 
he was a North Queensland cowboy and he's True. familiar with humid conditions. I'm pretty certain his, um, if it wasn't his debut game, then certainly his second game was a, a Darwin game um, back up there a couple of years ago as well. So um, a lot to consider. I could see any number one of teams. Look, no, normally we're, it, we're pretty good at predicting the side that will run out because to your point, 40, the, um, and, and, and to your point, 60, we, Brad's generally pretty resolute. And um, and and loyal to the teams, particularly winning teams. But yeah, one to keep an eye on. I'm quite comfortable in talking about it this week because I'm normally there watching training. And if I'm suggesting that there's going to be a, a, a late change, it becomes a bit of a loaded uh, statement. I, I, I might it? not yeah. be. I might yeah. not be welcome at training. Yeah. Sixties <laughs> yeah, so um, free of the shackles of knowledge here. He's. Uh, shooting from the hip like we always, like everyone else does. So good for him. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, and now I think you've, with all these um, selections, there are a, far, a few more interesting ones in the New South Wales Cup team, mate. Yeah. So, I mean, as the Eels got increasingly fitter and fitter and healthier, healthier in the NRL, uh, it was due to have some bad luck, wasn't it, 60s? And unfortunately uh, for the Eels and for Wanga Blake, we saw him uh, leave in the first half against Canterbury, and it looked like he was clutching at a shoulder, maybe a collarbone. It was hard to tell. Um, he didn't come back into the team. So he's out of the uh, New South Wales Cup team list this week. Uh, you got to assume it's a somewhat semi-serious injury if he's clutching a shoulder or thereabouts, which means at least a few weeks on the sideline. And, uh, yeah, for the Reggie's team, it's it's pretty rough. They're taking on the second-place team in the New Zealand Warriors, and they look like this with Dejan Arcee at fullback. you got... Uh, Josh Minhinnick and Bowie Simonson on the flanks, although, like you said, there is that asterisk next to Bowie's uh, attendance in this game. Even if he doesn't like play NRL, if he goes up to Darwin and flies back to Sydney and then flies the the, the uh, North Harbour game, they might deem it to be too much wear and tear in the travel for him. But in the centres, Isaac Lumi and Zach Sini, Rankin and Arthur unchanged in the halves. In the front row, Ogden, Makatoa and Jaden Yates. Probably the one player who gets a big opportunity this week as much as the rest of the team is struggling for uh, the depth here, Jaden gets a chance to start uh, in the absence of Mitch Rain. In the back row, though, Dan Keir, Jack Murchie, Luca Moretti. On the interchange, I mean, I don't know where they've managed to find I plucked this one from, but Manny Luke, uh, Tony Matelli, Jonte Jr., Beth Mieser, and Kai Rodwell. Tavita Taumapenu, the 18th man. It is worth mentioning the Jersey Fleck is on a bye, so they, they technically had access to their Jersey Fleck roster for this game, but the other thing we've got to consider, boys, is that uh, it's been a couple of years playing through those COVID-ravaged seasons where everything was in Australia. So maybe there's a decent chance that a lot of these young kids don't have their passports in order. Jonte uh, obviously does, given that he's been named to play this game. And good to see the big man, the the big hyphen, getting the call up because I thought he was very good in his other New South Wales Cup appearance earlier this season against Penrith. And uh, he now gets a chance to go across the ditch and rip in against a very good New Zealand team. Yeah, and, and we've seen them now... This is the second player, no, third player when we talk about, because uh, Mahinik is, uh, also runs around in uh, Ron Massey Cup for Wenty. And um, uh, sorry, what's the name of the 14 in the... Manny in Luke. The Manai, Manny Luke. Manny Luke. And he's he's been running around in Ron Massey Cup for Wenty as well, previously with the Panthers. And the and their link with the St Mary's club for uh, a period of time before that. Uh, I think you mentioned he might have played for the Panthers yeah. in the trials. Pan- he played oh, actually started the season at the Panthers in their New South Wales Cup extended New South Wales Cup squad. I'm pretty certain. 
Uh, he was part of their match report in their 42-24 to loss. They sustained at the hands of the Eels. Yeah, so um, diving into the Ron Massey uh, Cup ranks and, yeah, some new faces as far as the Eels are concerned. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go. It's you're looking. It seems like we've got some players out of position. We've got Lumi Lumi now playing in the centres. Yep. And the other thing yeah. to consider, it's a 10 o'clock kickoff on that flight across from Australia. So it's very tough conditions for the Eels here. They're probably going to do well to be competitive, I think. I, look, I think so too. But maybe this is exactly the test that they yeah, need. maybe. And, um, yeah, I, there's going to be a bit more that coach Nathan Kalos is going to be expecting from them this week because, as Clint said, the that tenacity that we've seen from the junior rep teams, from the flag team, from the NRL team, was it's it's been lacking to an extent the last two weeks. Well, they've been flat for two weeks now. Yep. Yeah, it carried for in from that Easter Monday game and through to yeah, this one. It, it was I mean we, we sort of put that Easter Monday performance where they scraped home uh, against the magpies as being uh, one of like just similar to the NRL. They didn't hit their straps but they won the game. And so you know, we took that as a win and thank you very much, move on. But, well, we, you know, we've already talked about the New South Wales Cup game against the Bulldogs. So um, I guess the best thing right now is just to move on now yes, and, so. um, and start talking about the – we've just spoke about New South Wales Cup travelling to New Zealand. I just want to come back to the NRL quickly, boys. What's your feeling about the, the, the arrangement with playing up in the Northern Territory? Like just your overall takes on it. Uh, in a purely like, when you isolate the idea, I like it. Uh, when you when you consider normal weeks of preparation, or maybe an extended week of preparation, if the NRL were more lenient with their scheduling, I, I think that it's good for preparing the game. It's good for the Parramatta Eels in general. They've even though they haven't played the prettiest football, they've been effective up in Darwin. Uh, but when the agreement comes with five day turnarounds and the uh, constant sort of Queensland teams where we gain little uh, geographical advantage from going there. I'm not saying we have to have it every year be the pure out-and-out benefactors of it, but it would be nice to have every other game be in our favour and then the other game go to the Cowboys or the Broncos or the Dolphins, whoever they want to play there. But yeah, when you get stacked up with you know good Queensland teams on short turnarounds, it does become a bit frustrating as a fan. Yeah, Clint? Yeah, likewise, you know... Um it's this this year in particular because of the short turnaround is quite frustrating you know when the agreement was initiated in 2014 it came along with a lot of community work and there was at least a full week up there you know the 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 club has been robbed of that opportunity because of the scheduling you know i I think of the development opportunities and the school visits that are probably lost without those extra couple of days you know that's not to say the club still won't do it they will but they won't be able to hit as much um, as they otherwise would have, you know, and, and you know, having the, the players, um, I guess, familiarise themselves within the local community for that week as well and, 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 and go out to those community events and, 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 and take the photos and, and all of those things. So it, it, it's a bit disappointing from that end. Um, to, to echo 40 sentiments as well, um, 
agree completely in terms of the, the opposition as well. It seems a little... It, it, home game is so valuable, you know, and if we're going to be giving it away, granted that there is a commercial agreement in place for that, but, you know, we should be equal partners in that agreement. And there the, the, the should be, um, you know, whether, whether it's the rotational um, opposition um, model that, that Forty suggested or, or, or some other arrangement. You know, it, I'm not a fan of, of versing the Queensland teams um, uh, consistently in this, um, in this match. Um, Fortuitously, we've done well. Uh, we have a six and eight, um, um, six from eight record in Darwin across the nine years the agreement's in place. But um, a, a fun little fact for you, gentlemen, actually, um, in the years that we've lost in Darwin, or that we've um, not played the game there, including the 2020 COVID-affected season, we've made the top four. Every other year where we've won, we haven't. <laughs> That's interesting. So, so we got to throw the game so, on Friday but, is what you're trying to say. <laughs> Maybe if a loss happens, it's not the worst <laughs> thing in the world. No. I, look, I hadn't considered that, but I mean, my, my take on this, and I wrote on this last year, is that... I think there has to be a determination about uh, commercial realities versus footballing achievements and outcomes and the onflow of commercial realities, uh, of, of commercial advantage from that. Now, uh, the amount of money, off the top of my head, I, I, I'm not sure how many million the arrangement is with the uh, with the Northern Territory government, whether it's a million a year or whatever the case may be. But obviously, it's a sponsorship that the Eels value. And, you know, rightly so, if you've got sponsors who are pre- prepared to you know, throw in Bitcoin, then you're going to you're going to treat them like gold. However, as you've just pointed out, and this is something that I said last year, we are giving away a home game for that so there is a loss of commercial revenue around that with um, season ticket costs are down because like they, they can't charge as much for season tickets because there is one game less at the stadium so straight away if you didn't take a game away you've got extra revenue that would come in via every season ticket that's sold or every membership that's sold is that little bit more expensive and and it's not and when i say a little bit more expensive i'm not i'm not trying to punish fans in that regard i'm saying you'd get an extra game so you're paying a little bit extra for it plus you're selling the tickets for you know the walk up attendances or casual attendances that happen for that game now if the eels are taken on the broncos at um combank stadium what are we going to get now if we, were, if we were playing that on Friday night at 8 o'clock at Combank, do you have any doubts that we'd get twenty to 25,000 people there? Yeah, exactly. Undoubtedly. Close to yeah, now what are they going to get up in Darwin? Eight to 9,000 that's there? Now, okay, that's, that's just the realities of, of playing in a, a state that's not a rugby league state. And, um, but like, that's, the, that's the first thing that's there. Secondly... They're, when you're drawn to play the Queensland teams, there's probably just as much chance that you're going to battle to get a win um, a little bit more than if you were playing another Sydney club. 
up there. And the, the likelihood is we're going to be drawn against a Queensland team more often than not now. Thirdly, we know that the impact from this game is not necessarily the, the week that follows. It's two weeks later. The Eels struggle physically about a fortnight after that trip up to Darwin. And there is no way you can acclimatise to Darwin. It might talk about, you know, people are looking and seeing, oh, they're going up, oh, they've gone up today, Tuesday, to acclimatise. You're not going to acclimatise in three or four days to the conditions up there. Matter of fact, you're running training, you're running a training session. You're probably more likelihood that you have to worry about the recovery from the training session before the game. I mean, that's, that's how I see it because, you, I mean, recovery is part of normal training. They're, re- they're training in hotter conditions. They're, they're, they're going to struggle with, the, with their recovery during the week. So I'm not sure how they're going to vary the training, whether they're going to have it slightly lighter or what. But regardless, you take a game away there, you, your preparation's disrupted as well. I, I look at the I look at this and I go, just how much is let's say we're getting a million dollars for this? Is it worth the money? Like, is it really worth the money when you think when you when you talk about the the loss of revenue at the stadium in Parramatta that happens straight away? Wouldn't it all balance out in the end, money wise? So. Or, or at least go close to it. And in the end, you know, if the, if we have better results and we don't put the team under fatigue, which we're doing at this time of the season or whenever it happens, in the long run, are we going to be better off for not playing up there? I mean, I hate to be raining on the parade of, a, of an Eels commercial arrangement. And I, and I don't want to be looking as if I'm, I'm heavily down on that or criticising the club for it. But I just think it's something that the, that maybe the club needs to look at in terms of what would best suit the football team. Because after all, the Parramatta Club is a football club, first and foremost. And the better the results are, the better the commercial returns will be. And the other thing to consider... Sorry about my microphone there. The other thing to consider, 60s, is that when we went into this commercial partnership originally, Magic Ground wasn't a thing. And now Magic Ground is a, a, a round where every other season you're losing a home game. So that's yeah. suddenly, you know, every other year the Eels are about two home games, which is absolutely huge in a competition that is as close as the NRL. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's. I, I think there's there has to be thought that's that's put into this. I'm not sure how many years are left on the arrangement. I can't remember when it was last renewed. But um, anyway, we we best move on to the yeah, general let's, NRL. Let's go up tempo, box. boys, because we are hitting the hour mark now in the news podcast. Let's start with a little bit of LL Cool J because we're not calling it a crackdown. Uh, the NRL refusing to say that there's a crackdown on discipline across the code here with Simbins up, penalties up, and uh, in general, the uh, adjudication of certain tackling methods uh, being looked at very harshly. Uh, how do we see this, boys? Uh, doing the right thing by the game, being overly vigilant, uh, overly critical, or uh, somewhere in between? Is it? I'm just wondering. Is I remember when we had the uh, the the crackdown around Magic Round. Was it two years ago? I want to say it was about two years. Yeah. 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 That it was. It seemed like it was out of control, and people were being sent to the sin bin like willy nilly. And uh, so I don't know how. 
I mean, they talk. I think they made the comparison of how it compares to last year, the number of sin bins. But I don't know. I mean, it's. I haven't seen too many that I'm outraged by as far as sin bins go. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What about yourselves? I look at the stat line and I think that's probably what's creating some of the outrage and discussion in the first instance. Because when you look at it in terms of the eye test and the pub test, I, I share your sentiments, 60s. You know, I haven't seen anything that makes me go, yeah, look, that's pretty harsh. I just go, no, no that's, that's how it's officiated now. We've come to expect uh, you know, um, that, that'll, that to be the outcome. Um, it's it, it, it's nothing that's really all that surprising. Yeah. I mean, I might be thinking differently when Parramatta's affected by an outrageous call. Now, we, we lost the two players against the Roosters, and that was a significant reason that we, that we lost that game. But, you know, wrong things happened yeah, in that yeah, game. And, my, and, my... and we lost Junior against in that, at that critical time against the Panthers, and we managed to overcome that quickly in the in golden point um my beef but with that roosters, with, the, with the roosters game isn't even with the roosters game six is, is that will penicini got put in a symbion for influencing a try scoring situation from an offside position from a line break and lo and behold the next week the west tigers do the exact same thing as the Parramatta reels and there was no penalty no symbion sorry so that that is really my my gripe with officials it's not this crack like caught a crackdown don't caught a crackdown i don't care if that's going to be the standard they want to officiate these tackles and whatnot too, that's fine. I've got no issues with that. Again, my issue with the system comes with the inconsistency across the same thing, so across same results or similar results. So, uh, yeah, that, and that's unfortunately just been something that the NRL haven't been able to get right, or at least in my opinion, haven't been able to get right for quite some time. Uh, and, yeah, and then the other thing that I, I spoke to you about at the game was that across all grades, it seems like they're letting obstructions creep back into the picture a lot more. Uh, there's a lot of crabbing behind players that it used to be black and white not so long ago. They'd say, okay, you've run behind a player, you've taken advantage, that's it. And now we're seeing a lot of guys where the, the pass gets a bit sloppy or players are sort of out, of out of sync and they run back in field behind players and the referees are, are being, it looks like they're making judgment calls and being able to say no play on, no one was impeded when as before it was black and white. Uh, so I don't, yes. know. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I think, I think basically it's the, a scenario where if there was a try that was scored or a significant break that was made, that they're probably going to blow the whistle. But when they're seeing all this crabbing backwards and forwards behind uh, players, and, I mean, to an extent, there is an advantage that's that's being gained because they've repositioned where the ball is without, without suffering a penalty in any regard. Um, uh, yeah, I am with you. I, I, I think I'm seeing it a bit more in lower grades than the than the first grade, but we we have seen some instances in first grade where we're all howling for the you know the shepherd call, and it just doesn't happen. So um, yeah, it's one to, one for us to monitor. I think. All right, boys, is it time to get the scissors out? Long hair, yay or nay? In the NRL, we saw in the very very close game between Newcastle and the Penrith Panthers, Tyson Frizzell gets uh, Jerome Luai from behind, getting the ponytail, but also a whole fistful of jersey. Uh, I think Graham Ansley's come out and said that the correct call was made. But is that a case of the correct call under the current rules and the rules need to change? Because, geez, watching that as a neutral, I felt pretty agree for Newcastle. 
you well look for a start i think when clint and i come in we're we're coming in from the uh takes of people that have relatively short hair you're the you're the one of us uh, out of our trio who wears the hair a bit yeah longer I, I got the i got the locks longer these days in my playing days it was always short hair though so i was never a never a potential victim of a hair pulling incident and i gotta say boys uh, we talk about referee discretion and the ability to make a judgment call in those obstructions. Like it is pretty obvious when there is malice and intent on a hair pull. Like surely the referee and now that the bunker is allowed to intervene on foul play between the two of them, they can make a correct judgment call on whether a tackle like Tyson Frizzell's was deliberate in an attempt to hurt a player by grabbing the hair or going for what was essentially all he had his target area was pretty much right there. And that was it. And he still got the Jersey play on you sort of invite that risk upon yourself by having long hair i think annesley has set the has set things up to basically say there is from their perspective there is no gray area if you get hold of the hair no matter how accidental no matter if it's uh, if if you're grabbing mostly the jersey that the referees have their hands tied, that they are going to blow a penalty. Now, I think that's ridiculous. And if it's going to be that black and white with the referees, then the NRL has to has to get rid of that and basically say um, that players need to wear their hair tied up. In and the, it, uh, in the uh, NFL, if you have hair poking out from your helmet, past the, uh, the essentially there's a plate on the collar, uh, a nameplate in the collar, uh, it's then to be part of the uniform, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, it's one of those risks you invite upon yourself, isn't it? Because it's like having long hair in uh, any sort of culinary discipline. You need to have it tied up or you need to have it in a hair cap because it is an OHS risk, just like it is in NRL where you're presenting yourself a date. Not, not even about being a, a tackle target, but the fact that you can give a defender accidental leverage on your neck is such a, a self-risk. Yep, and and... Whether it whether it be that uh, if if players have got their hair tied, if they if they're wearing it in a ponytail or something like that, and it's still coming down their back, whether they can get it tucked down behind the jersey or they they're made to wear headgear or whatever the case may be, but if the NRL takes out any risk of it happening into by by deeming that players have to have the hair pulled up, and then any any contact that's made with hair that's down on the jersey, it's not the fault of the of the tackler, and, it, and I don't think it is the fault of the tackler in any way, shape, or form. No, I agree. if you've got if you've got the hair down hanging down the jersey like that, that's the risk that you're going to take. If you're running out on the field like that, bad luck. That's 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 how I see it anyway. Clint, what's your thoughts? It, this really frustrates me, gents, because we're in a time now in the sport where we're asking more of the players than we ever have in all facets of the game on and off the field. Um, and on top of that, you know, th there's definitely a culture, um, deliberate or not, that has crept in where we're making the players accountable for absolutely everything, including um, incidental collisions and run-ins. Now, they're being asked to... Um, I guess the I guess the word that I'm searching for here is is is, is be accountable. You know, we've, we've touched on in recent weeks uh, the the rise of the hip drop tackle, and we absolutely agree that there is an accountability piece there. But this this is a stretch too far. You know, this this is where the NRL should have a policy. 
they should make it clear and the players abide by that policy and it becomes you 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 wear the consequences at your own risk if you don't want to agree with that policy so you know the for Tyson Frizzell to be penalised for that and Penrith to gain an advantage for that, geez, that is that is bottom of the barrel stuff. You know, we uh, I don't buy that that uh, that being an acceptable penalty in this day and age when we ask the players to do so much and be mindful of so many other things. There's bigger fish to fry. Let's let's establish a policy. You choose to follow it. If not, well, you know what? You got tackled. You chose to you chose to wear your hair out. You chose to grow your head of that, like, you know, we can equally make a case of, okay, so if you happen to have a, a, a team that has a player, um, a playing group full of players with long hair, it, it, it could, it, as ridiculous and ludicrous as it sounds, it could be a strategy to be gained. Uh, it, no joke. You could say to your boys, all right, we're all going to the hairdresser, you're getting extensions, you know, this week, yep. because, you know, just the, the off chance that you get one penalty can absolutely change a game. So, yeah, a lack of common sense from the NRL. Disappointing, but not surprising. Now, boys, Queensland would never. A uh, bit of a discussion this week about the retirement from representative football of New South Wales centre Jack Whiten, looking to focus on club football, but not necessarily club football for the Canberra Raiders. Uh, Whiten looking to enter his final chapter of his playing career by focusing on the NRL level of play, boys, do we like it? Uh, do we think he's in the right? I mean, obviously, it's his right as a player. There's no doubting that. Has he made the right call for his career uh, by foregoing that New South Wales bonus, given that he was pretty much a surefire selection, whether as a centre or maybe on the, the bench as that utility? Uh, yeah, what do we make of um, Jack White and pulling up stumps for part of his playing career? Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, if I'm Jack White and... Um, and I'm in the getting ready for that, maybe the last big contract, but might even be the last contract of my career. If I think that I'm going to be able to perform better by not being involved in Origin, I've done Origin before, and and maybe I'm considering it, you know, if I'm a passionate New South Wales player, as no doubt he is, I might be looking at the what the playing stocks are and, and thinking, well, you know, there's still some good players to There's come no in. There's no shortage if not... of good centres, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and just on whether he moves or not, I'm I'm a little bit old-fashioned. I like seeing players who can be one-club players. I know it's a it's a decreasing reality in these days. Um, it'd probably be good if he could play out his career at Canberra, but from the player's perspective, they've only got a short career to maximise their their money or to set themselves up. Sounds like all the rumblings are that he's looking to um, relocate and set up his his family in another state. And I guess good luck to him. White into Melbourne confirmed. <laughs> um, but yes, Don't put it out there into the universe. <laughs> obviously, a lot of the media sort of take it as a, a fait accompli that uh, White and will join Wayne Bennett at the Dolphins. Uh, we've also talked that it might be for less money than what Canberra offered. So uh, maybe that was Canberra getting on the front foot to fans saying that, hey, our offer was highly competitive um, if he does leave. So, yeah, I mean, it would be a big loss for Canberra, a uh, big gain for the Dolphins. And, yeah, in terms of the rep football boys, yeah, you can't really ever be, uh, especially at the way Whiten's played his rep career, he's always been a very good player for both Australia and New South Wales. And it's probably earned uh, an early retirement in that regard. Now, selection news across the NRL, boys. 
very big week. We've got players returning, players dropped uh, across a multiple or multitude of teams. We'll start with the big return of Kalen Ponga. Uh, there was a huge question mark about his timeline uh, recovering from concussion. He went over to Canada to get some advanced treatment there. He's back after a, a few weeks, and I'm going to be brutally honest, I think it's probably maybe a third, if not a quarter of a time, of what he needed to spend on the sidelines given some of those symptoms he was showing. But he's been uh, rushed back, uh, apparently with due diligence, but in my opinion rushed back to start at 5'8 for the Newcastle Knights, who also joined by the dropping of Sam Walker, uh, the loss of uh, Tamalolo for the Cowboys, and uh, who's the other player I'm missing here, boys? The return of uh, Crichton. Uh, yeah, Angus Crichton. The return of Angus Crichton. So obviously a, the injury to, um, to Dewey. Yeah, so the, the return of Angus Crichton, obviously a massive boost to the Roosters and a nice story for Rugby League, given where Crichton was at with his mental uh, headspace there. And that, that is one of the things we've spoken about in the past is uh, that Rugby League is making good strides and bounds in is you know being much more open and positive about dealing with mental illness. So with Angus, he's been given time to work his way back to first grade now making that step. And then for Adam Dewey, geez, from bad to worse for, i got to say, a poor bastard here because third ACL on the same knee, his recovery time frame is now expected to be between 12 to 16 months, boys. And that, I mean, he is very fortunate in that he just re-signed the West Tigers, which is uh, very good luck for him and, and really nice. Not a silver lining, but, uh, you know, small, you know, uh, consolation prize, I suppose, for him. But... That is tantamount to a career ender because when he comes back, who's going to touch him for anything above league minimum? Yeah, he's 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 likely to. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're talking about that sixteen months, we're starting to really talk about missing two seasons of football. Yes, and then another yeah. another season to get back to your best. So that's three yeah. seasons of football before you're back to being able to earn your best potential uh, contract. Yeah, so that's unfortunate for him. Um, and yeah, just quickly, I'm 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 in agreement with you about uh, Ponga. I I guess we will know very quickly how um, how wise that decision is because given how simple the uh, concussions were starting to happen for him, he's not going to be miss. He's not going to miss out on a collision uh, when he returns. They're they're going to happen. And um, let's hope, let's hope that he's over that um, ease of which he was being concussed. And um, I certainly the, hope so. Yeah, because that, that um, gents, it, it, beyond it being feeling a bit rushed from that perspective, do Newcastle really need Kalen Ponger in the side right now? I mean, they've been going pretty all right, and. Ponger is a player that demands the ball. Jackson Hastings has been managing the team pretty well with the presence of um, of Gamble and and Miller there. Um, is, is this is this a risk Newcastle needs to take right now? Uh, no, no, I don't believe that it is. I don't believe that it's they're anywhere near. Um, well, I don't want to use the term panic stations in bringing someone back, but you just feel like it's been rushed. I, you know, I think that. Maybe the pressure is how much of the salary cap he takes up and that there's that amount of the salary cap just sitting on the sideline all the time. Maybe he feels the pressure. Maybe the coach feels the pressure. I'm not sure, but I don't think it's a wise decision. I I don't think it was going to impact their season too much for him to sit out for maybe another month, but we can only wish him well 
with mm. that. Um, did the Sam Walker uh, dropping uh, him being dropped to reserve grade was that a surprise in any way? Not for, uh, not for me, boys. I've been I'm careful to say very critical of Sam Walker because I when I say critical I of, of a young playmaker I tend to mingle within the confines of being constructive uh, and not being trying to tear him down because he isn't you know being a, a five star superstar week in week out. But with Sam Walker, there was a lot of hype when he came in the first grade. He hit the ground running, had a wonderful cutout pass, but his game in terms of the the senior level hasn't been able to be rounded out properly, it feels like, uh, given the the pressure and speed that defense has put on you in the NRL. Uh, so maybe some time to uh, not rehabilitate, but you know, just get back to get back some confidence and get through some patterns and structures in reserve grade will do him good. But this is whether it was him or Kiri. This is the change that's been coming for a while because the Roosters have been quite stagnant in the playmaking department for uh, a fair chunk of time now. Uh, it's a fair player they're able to bring into the halves. Yeah, imagine <laughs> imagine saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to drop my young star uh, halfback slash 5'8", and I'll just look at my centre for a quarter line and say, oh, you know what, you might be the best fullback in the competition that's not playing at fullback, but I'm going to put you into the 5'8", where you'll be one of the best 5'8". So Joey Manu, hell of a player. He's stepping up to the plate for the Roosters. Yeah. Now that your thoughts on the Cowboys, how they're travelling and how they're going to travel now without Tal Malolo. It's a challenge, um, it, you know. That's that's one of their highest paid well, players. Is and, is this you know, the re- one of those cases of addition by subtraction where the rest of the Ford pack steps up in the absence of Jason Tal Malolo? Uh, i I got to say, JT hasn't looked like he's been at his best this season. Uh, the what We've been so used to him not just pumping out 200-plus metres, but with so many of those runs being high impact, and it just feels like the venom isn't in his carries at the moment. So maybe the also the sitting out is a sort of silver lining for him where he can recharge the batteries. But, yeah, a lot was said about the Cowboys from last year to this year, boys. They were huge overachievers in 2022. The benefactors of a very easy draw and also just, you know, on the back of their own efforts in the preseason coming into the season, super fit. And things aren't clicking for him in 2023. Uh, whereas with the Parramatta Reels, you could see where things were going wrong and what they needed to do to improve it. And we saw that effort against Penrith Panthers, then the build against the Tigers and the Bulldogs. They've made those steps and they're still making those steps. For the Cowboys, they just don't seem to know what their identity is right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the difference, say, between uh, Parramatta and the Cowboys right now, right in this in this moment, is that... We can see that Parramatta's sort of settling to a few new combinations, but there's also uh, quite a number of settled um, combinations that remain in the team. Like there is a there is a core stability still within the team. That the Cowboys lineup is they're still relatively new as a unit. That last year was a real breakout year for them and. Obviously, they flew under the radar and arguably overachieved for the team that they had. I am i wasn't convinced that they were going to have a strong season this year, but it was there was that part of me that was thinking, you know, oh, this player's he's gone so well and this player's gone so well. You know, maybe, maybe it wasn't so much the draw. Maybe it wasn't so much... The um, you know people not being aware of what they were capable of doing, but gee, they I think they've flown under the radar this year when it comes to criticism. Yeah, I mean, three hundred and sixty had 
Peyton on and he was speaking about how he knew what areas he had to address in terms of picking up the intensity. And since then, I think they've gone on too. So, yeah, the, the heat is going to start ratcheting up on them, even if Peyton had a fantastic year last season. Well, what they've have definitely seen? had the benefit of being an out-of-Sydney team and not being in the Sydney media. Um, you know, we've had the Tigers, we've had um, ourselves take some of that heat over the earlier parts of the round, but or of the competition proper, I should say. But if um, you know, if a, a loss to Newcastle this weekend, you know, uh, it compounds an existing problem, and I, and it definitely needs to be scrutinised a bit more. Well, have a look at their draw after that. It's uh, I think they've um, they've got uh, quite a, a tough run of matches that are coming up in the coming weeks. I mean, are they guaranteed of getting past the Knights with how the Knights have been going this year? There's certainly no certainties. <laughs> um, you know, well, and to, to, to be honest, and I have the, um, the great privilege of knowing a little bit more about Cowboys games with a good friend of mine being a, a, a very stoic uh, Cowboys supporter, very one-eyed Cowboys supporter. And he's uh, absolutely singing the song of the pessimist at the moment. He's not. He's not looking forward to the games that come, and he's already writing the season off. But to be honest, you know, if there is a week to do it, it is this week because to my point before, gents, and the the inclusion of Ponga in the Newcastle side, this, that's a high profile player that demands a lot of ball and takes away opportunities from the likes of Jackson Hastings, from the likes of Loch, Lachlan Miller, who've been demanding the ball in his absence. And you know, may, maybe Newcastle throw a little less at the Cowboys than what the Newcastle team of the past couple of weeks has been throwing at oppositions. And it might just open a doorway, might just create that little bit of chance for the Cowboys to to get that um, against the odds win that they might need to um, to kickstart a bit of confidence for themselves. Well, the following weeks they play the Sharks and the Roosters. So if they don't get past the Knights you'd have to say they're going to be waiting until round 11 when they play the Dragons that uh, before they get their next win. And I think they, they might go back to back. They've got uh, the West Tigers after that. And then we play the Cowboys in round 13 at Combank Stadium. We don't that, have to correct me if I'm right, Jens. Is that an origin-affected round? I wow. honestly can't keep track of the origin schedule, so don't ask me. Oh, let's but, uh, have a look. Well, while, while Sixties had a look, we'll start talking about origin. Yeah, well, yeah there's, there's a whole lot of buys that week. So, so that, that would be an origin uh, impact yeah. game then, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, well, it's not going to be too many Parramatta Hills picked. Who's going to lose the most players? The uh, Broncos. Probably still the Cowboys. <laughs> no, they're probably the Cowboys, yeah. Uh, Kevy does love some of those uh, Cowboys forwards and obviously uh, Valentine in the back line, and maybe uh, Murray Talangi too. He'd probably be in the mix for a wing spot as well, but it's going to be fierce competition. But speaking of Origin boys, New South Wales, well, they've had Jack Whiten retire. Obviously, we just spoke about that. They've got some question marks in two positions, 5'8 and centre. Uh, so Jerome Luai, the incumbent, a lot of the conversation has been about whether the club combination with he and Nathan Cleary is worthy of uh, being trumped by uh, the likes of Nico Hines or Matt Burton, I do notice a lack of a certain Parramatta halfback in the conversation there. It's been a bit alarming for me because I don't know what Mitchell Moses has to do to be in this conversation. Uh, but likewise at well, centre, I was going to say at centre... I was just going to say... Yeah, sorry, go ahead, John. Uh, at centre, you have you know Joseph Swali'i, Campbell Graham, Latrell Mitchell, Tom Tobojevic. And I'm not saying he should be picked, but the fact that people like Bradman Best are getting mentioned before uh, Will Penasini is almost... I, I want to say embarrassing. 
Like not like Will should be a pick there because the New South Wales backline stocks are so deep. But you know when Talakai and and Brabham Best are getting a name run ahead of him, like what's going on, guys? What are we doing here? Look, yeah. selfishly, gents, I'm. You want the best for the player in their development, and and you want them to get to to get those higher honors. And our players definitely deserve to be in the discussion and a part of the part of the selection discussion as much as any other player. Um, certainly with their form over the last um, last couple of years, and 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 even and, and and this year to date as well. You know, just just because of um, we um, we lost our first three doesn't mean that these guys haven't been playing well and haven't been playing good against good opposition. But you know, selfishly as a Parramatta fan, I'm quite happy that no one's talking about Mitchell Moses. I'm oh, quite happy that no one's talking about Wanatini. It helps you make I a run through that forward. origin stretch. Well, I, I, yeah, I we we want we want those boys to get the on gold. Yeah, well, I'm I'm hoping that Freddie ignores Reg's great form. Then. Well, that was my follow <laughs> yeah. up was given that he was quite legitimately one of Australia's best players during that World Cup campaign. Is this nasty? And they refuse to admit it, but it clearly is. But this nasty set of politics, player politics, going to keep Reagan Campbell Gillard out of the New South Wales team when he is quite clearly New South Wales best forward, like best prop forward, or probably even ahead of Junior. Yeah, it's. I guess we're going to see soon enough, and um, uh, when it. But I, I want to come back to your point about the five eight discussion. So they're talking about uh, Nico Hines being selected as as five eight, and look, I'm not going to uh, knock Hines' credentials to be in consideration for an Origin berth. He's possibly uh, one of the best options that you could have for a number fourteen in the origin team. But if you're prepared to discuss a halfback being selected at five eight, then why aren't why don't we have Mitch Moses there in the discussion? Mitch Moses has been called up for origin in the past, so it's not like he's not used to being in the camp. Uh there was some uh there's always been a few question marks around uh, Jerome Luai. I can I can understand the argument about keeping a club combination together. But it's not even a good club combination, 60s. Luai is in the best team in the competition and contributes the odd good run. He, he is not anywhere near the playmaker that any of the other candidates are, even Matt Burton. And I think Matt Burton is still like very raw in terms of being picked at Origin 5-8. Like, Hines and Moses, and Moses in particular, a player that has paid his dues and has, you know really crafted his trade to become a top two halfback in the competition. Like, why is he not part of his conversation? Like, I don't understand. I do not no, understand. I, think, I was going to say, I think, gents, you know, it, it's a little bit of trial by media and there's, you know, there's obviously an association of a, uh, or perceived um, association and um, I, I guess reputation around Mitch that precedes him probably from his younger days. That's just hung around, and it's it, it's something that gets perpetuated um, by by certain fans, and you know both both Parramatta and non Parramatta fans, um, probably more so the latter in this instance. But also, um, you know, when a large contingent of um, of the media has their discussion points, and those same people are on the selection panels for these teams, it always becomes a self fulfilling prophecy anyway. And you know, it, it, it's almost as though they put something out there to bait it, um, to bait the public into 
into into their expressing their sentiments around it and use that as the basis of what decision they, they might make as opposed to it being the old school selectors going into the back room very little outside noise none of them have an, any association with any media uh and they make the decision and, and and they live and die by those decisions for each game and uh, moving on without bogging down too much time boys because we're getting to the hour and a half mark but i fully expect other sort of origin like legitimate origin contenders from Parramatta, like lane and madison to be completely overlooked too so whatever it is yep. unfortunately the Parramatta reels you know they they really struggle to not produce origin caliber players but get them to make that step in terms of the selection so uh tough sledding for our boys but good for the nrl campaign so that's a uh, a nice silver lining there. Let's round out uh, a big news podcast with what has been the most topical discussion of the week because there's been so many Golden Point games to start this season. Is Golden Point fine? Do we need to tinker with it, boys? Is it okay for a team to get to Golden Point and not get any points? Or should we go to this new four-point system where normal wins are worth four points, Golden Point wins, you lose a point for winning, you get three points, and the loser gets one point, uh, and ties are worth two points. I've got a pretty strong opinion on this that I'll get to eventually, but I'm keen to hear what you boys say about the uh, golden point discussion. For me, it's very simple, Forty. We either have a golden point or we don't have golden point. As a Parramatta supporter, I hate golden point. <laughs> we, uh, we're never the team that's clawing our way back into the game to get the golden point. We're always the one that has the lead and gets gunned down at the end, so you go with the golden point. Come on, boys, yeah. please just hold on. I, I, don't, have a huge, I don't have a huge... Uh, bank of games in in my memory uh, where we've had success in Golden Point. I know we did have one this year, and and I'm I'm casting my mind back to another uh, to a victory over the Bulldogs, maybe where Mitch Moses kicked yeah, the field. Yeah, I remember goal. that one. Yeah, yeah, seventeen, um, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, but not too many outside of that. So, but as a neutral, I don't mind the theatre of the Golden Point games that I watch. Um, I guess when it, what it comes down to is if the NRL suddenly said tomorrow there will be no more Golden Point games, it'll just be a draw, I'd go, oh, okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, I, I can cop that too, Quint. Uh, what, yeah, and, and, but also equally, if the NRL if the NRL says uh, Golden Point games will continue, I'll go, okay, fair enough. But if you said to me, we're going to tinker with Golden Point, I'd say, can't we just leave the game? <laughs> like, just leave it. <laughs> You know, and like the tinkering they're talking about actually has long-reaching ramifications for later finishes because uh, not getting full points for a win is significant. So, Clint, what's your take on this, mate? Like the system, don't like Golden Point. Want to see the system change to that four-point system or something similar? Uh, the suggestions that have been put out um, in the media for the last couple of weeks about introducing new point system, I absolutely despise. I don't want to see any of that. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about. One of the things that makes rugby league rugby league now is Golden Point. And I wasn't a big fan when it was originally introduced. Obviously, we were a part of the first Golden Point game back in 2003, and we lost to Manly at Brookvale that day. Or should I say that it was, yeah, it would have been Manly. They've just um, finished the Northern Eagles joint venture the year prior. But um, yeah, look, a, a win's a win, and a loss is a loss, yep. whatever way you yep. slice and cut it, you know? So let's leave it at, at, as that. And and to 60's point, if we wanted to reintroduce the draw, then we should. Let's be rugby league. Let's stop trying to be every other sport and go, you know, we, we, we've got to stop looking at other sports and going, oh, you know, yeah, we can take some learnings from them, but we've got to, we've got to put a rugby league lens on things. We can't just um, 
uh, adopt things willy-nilly and go, oh, that works for them, so we'll get a little bit of that, a little bit of that. It's just like, then who are we as a sport? You know, it, it's a war of attrition out there. And you, you the, the part of the reason it is a war of attrition is because you fight so damn hard for a win. And then you feel the um, the depths of of loss, particularly one in which she comes so close, you know. And, and uh, I, I think our, our our good friend Adam Hawes said something on, on on Twitter earlier today about it removing the theatre. Couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, leave it as it is. Doesn't need to be touched. Yeah, I mean, you probably said it kind of. I would have, but frankly, the idea of you deserve something for losing is embarrassing. And anyone that's peddling that, I know Buzz Rothfield was on 360, which really surprised me because Buzz Rothfield strikes me as a sort of person that also hate the idea of participation awards and all that sort of thing <laughs> that's going on. So a bit of hypocrisy maybe there from old Buzz. But, yeah, come on. Like like you said, the theatre of the game, the integrity of the game. When you lose, you lose. When you win, you win. Like It, it doesn't make a difference if it's ugly as sin, if it's a nail-biter, if your team got mowed down after a 20-point lead and had to win it in golden point. You're the victor at the end of the day, or you're the loser at the end of the day, and you've got to pick up, pick yourself up off the ground, and get to next week without zero, with zero competition points, or you celebrate whatever sort of victory you had. Like that, that, that is the fabric of our game. So, and and the other thing too, like I mentioned before, was if you start bringing in these four point wins, three point wins, one point losses, and whatnot, there there are far reaching ramifications for later seating at the end of the season, oh, where teams absolutely. where teams have a couple of golden point wins. But have and and have more wins than another team on the ladder, but end up behind them on competition points because they unintended consequences just yeah. seems to be a foreign concept in rugby league. Yeah, exactly. And so, we, you know, we we worry about it when it becomes a problem when it, when it rears its head, as opposed to being proactive um, and, and actually um, planning think, out some of these things before really we actually even make the discussion points. You really, really seize the point. In that league, needs to stop tinkering with its rules needs to stop trying to ape and mimic other codes. If there is something to be gained by doing uh, by copying another code that they do very well, fair enough. But rugby league is rugby league. It has a very good thing going on here in Australia and England and New Zealand. And like, yes, you can talk about trying to grow the game internationally, but you're not going to do that by introducing four point wins and three point wins and one point losses. So just could you imagine being a player and having gone through a golden point loss and they go, well, you know, the post match presser, well. It got away from you there, but at least a point there, hey lads. Yeah. And it's like, how hollow is that interview yeah. going to be? How hollow is the feeling going to yeah. be? You look back and you, and you to the point that you're making. Say you hypothetically have ten wins at the end of the year, but you you had a couple of golden point losses, so you qualify for the finals ahead of a team that's won two or three more games more than you because of that. What? <laughs> yeah. Next thing we'll be introducing some convoluted rugby union scoring system where they get. Where they get competition points for tries, or yeah, the four point four point wins. wins, blah blah blah, seven point losses or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and then next thing they'll be introducing something similar to the the betting. I don't if know your team oh, leads, if your team leads at halftime, they're going to get a point for this match. And it, 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 <laughs> part of me, boys, you mentioned that sixties about those bonus points and whatnot. There is a part of me that is fascinated by what sort of think tank and focus groups that these sporting codes are commissioning to get to these results. Like what brains trust is that, that I listen to. They're like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's, you know, make wins that much more convoluted. Like the fans will love it. I don't know. I, 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 I can tell you exactly where I think it's coming from. And it's coming from the same sort of thinkers that wanted to introduce a top 10. Well, or a top that, 12. The, the top 10 and top 12. I know what that is. Cause that's a pure financial thing. 
well, more, so this, more be the, this, this is the same thing because if you don't have clear finalists or, or more teams in contention with the possibility of how many points they can get out of a out of a one match, right? Then you you keep the competition table open for longer, and that's how all these convoluted point systems come in because people then start calculating can start calculating, oh, we're still a chance because we've got three games to go and in each game we've got a possibility of accruing this many points and, and yeah, it, it just – and then you've got losing teams who should be getting zero points and for some reason they, they're attracting points in a – yeah, it's, it's convoluted. It takes away from what the sport is. And, uh, yeah, I would hate for Rugby League to start going down that track because I honestly think once you – that that would be the straw that breaks the camel's back or, or that would be that would be the, the leak in the dam, in the, in the dike that opens up for the floodwaters to come rushing through. If they introduce a point system, a golden point like that, you're going to start to get those think tanks. What else can we make <laughs> yep. points available for? Yep. And, yep. and I say that in all seriousness. Yeah, It, it, it reeks of a third-party um, marketing firm being hired, get, uh, conduct some market research and say, how can we uh, improve the entertainment value of it um, year on year? Yeah. Let's introduce this and introduce that. And these ideas being floated to, to board members and C-level executives who use their contacts in the media to to float these ideas, to get a little bit of uh, a little bit of feedback. And if it's not too harsh, all right, we'll give it a test and a go. If they absolutely hate it, all right, well, we'll shelve that and maybe we might come back to it again a year or two later and see what the sentiment's like then. Uh, I think we all hate it, gents. Uh, let's just hope that that's the sentiment that's shared by the powers that be. Yeah. Yes, now, John, sir. can we finish on a comedy note with the Dragons? Please. Yeah, I saved the best to last because <laughs> it was meant to be earlier in the show notes, but uh, it had to be the way to finish off. I don't know what's going on at St. George Boys. And I don't think they know either because uh, they're, they're actually under investigation now, boys. Initially, it was being it was reported as losing an interchange for failing to comply to the, te- the official team sheet submitted an hour before kickoff with Moses and Bai coming into the starting team against the Canberra Raiders at Dummy Half. And initially it was reported that they'd been billed an interchange because they made the change, but apparently they weren't billed the interchange. The NRL is now launching an official investigation to what's going on. I mean, amateur hour, Bush League, whatever sort of old school, you know, cinnamon or idiom you want to use for it, I don't really know if it fits because this is this is really, really bad. Like, like this is meant to be a professional outfit, boys, and they can't even get their team sheet right. What's going on at St. George? Are we beyond the Benny Hill theme song for this one? I think, I think we might be past Benny Hill for these boys. Like, this is starting to get into the tragic territory. Like, someone get out mm. the sad trumpets and whatnot. Yeah, I, I was thinking maybe it was time for a Seinfeld jingle. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> because, as, as we know, um, they, I, I want to I wanna borrow a Seinfeld quote when we're talking about St. George. That's a shame. <laughs> Maybe that's the point in which we leave. That's a shame. <laughs> that's a shame indeed. <laughs> How about those St. George Laura Dragons? Anyway. Uh yeah, the unfortunately Anthony Griffin, he is a dead man walking boys. They'd made approach an, an unofficial approach to Billy Slater, who wanted no part of the St. George Laura Dragons. Uh, wise so, decision from yeah, Billy. Wise decision from Billy there. 
Uh, they had Shane Flanagan there. There's a big faction that want him back there, but apparently the, the chairman of the board, Dowst, uh, doesn't want him there. Uh, actually, Parramatta's own Nathan Brown was linked to uh, a transition back to the Dragons as well in a non-head coach capacity, whether it's GM of football or head of pathway. So lots of happening at the Dragons, but uh, they're kind of like a duck in a pond where they're just tracking water, aren't they? Like their feet are moving real fast, but they're not going anywhere. So I don't know. I think whoever comes in there, I think they're basically facing a long period of rehabilitation. Of yeah, that it's similar to the Newcastle job, right? Uh, that yep. Adam O'Brien is still trying to sled through and, you know, he's probably not quite on the, as hot a seat as uh, Griffin, but you can see why he might be rushing back, someone like Ponga, and that he feels like he needs to get great results this year because he is on a hot, hot seat. Uh, but for Griffin, like I said, dead man walking. Like, you, they're literally reaching out to other coaches to <laughs> sound him out about coming on board. He is gone. So yep. uh, it's, a, it's a tough gig in the NRL. Uh, it is one of the most results-oriented driven businesses or results-driven businesses uh, going around. And you pick up these absolute, you know, messes and, uh, you know, there's probably a stronger word I could use there in terms of a, a, a cluster something. But, uh, <laughs> they, yeah, it, it is so hard to rebuild these clubs. And, you know, when you get a coach like Brad Arthur that shows he was capable of it, that's why you don't let them go. And, you know, the, a good, a good, not a great NRL head coach, good NRL head coach is worth so much these days let alone a great one. So the Dragons, they, they cool. continue to lurch from issue to issue alongside yeah. the West Tigers. And, and a club like St. George, like the Tigers, they've got to be willing to, to go through it. They, they, they've got to stop looking for a quick fix and, and you know, um, the cosmetic changes of, um, of, of some staff and go, you know what, we are where we are mm-hmm. and we've got to go from here. Yep. Yeah, and that's um, that's probably why I'm so glad that we had we, the club was able to bring in someone like BA because I think if we brought in another coach in those years leading up to the salary cap crisis, I think we would have been, been in we would have been in all sorts for years to come. We were we were fortunate that as far as the um, the coaching philosophy and the um, the belief in in the club and the passion about the club that just didn't change for with, with BA. It just we we had someone who was committed to the job and saw it as a journey that he wanted to see through, and he's still there. And the Eels have been all the better for it. And you can imagine what it would have been if you had have had someone come in that didn't have that passion for who the Eels are, you couldn't have blamed them for jumping off that ship, could you? I mean, look, in retrospect, retrospect, did you blame Ricky Stewart for jumping ship? I I don't. I mean, I'm I'm glad that he jumped ship because we ended up with BA, but I don't hate him for jumping ship now. Like, when when we saw what ended up happening at the club, um, and he obviously knew the state that salary cap was in and what was going on, I couldn't blame him. So, um, yeah. Anyway, as you said, that's a, you have to get these clubs, if they want to fight their way out of it, they have to commit to a course. Yeah, it's that a, they're, that it's they're a marathon. prepared to stick with. Exactly. And on that note, boys, if the Paramount Reels haven't been a club that successfully did that, uh, we can sort of uh, look down at all of those pathetic clubs that are still struggling 
And uh, we, get to ce- <laughs> we get to celebrate that heading into a, a very tough road home trip to Darwin, but we'll be uh, back with the preview later this week, 60s. Tentatively, we uh, are still hoping to have a live site set up on Friday for the game, but we'll have to keep uh, listeners informed of that as we get the details updated ourselves. So keep uh, tuned for that one. But for now, stay safe. Thanks for dropping by and giving us a listen. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go you eels.